Hello, and welcome to The Writing Forge, where we discuss tips and tricks for honing your writing. I'm Bonnie. I'm Miranda. And we're your hosts. Let's Let's get get into it. it. All right, welcome back, everyone. Um, We are going to talk about a hot button issue today, which is artificial intelligence for writing. And we have Alan Ohashi with us here. Um, Before we get into the topic, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your writing journey. Uh, I'm Alan Ohashi, and uh, originally from uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, and uh, I'm always proud to talk about my writing roots. In fact, I brought a copy of the Tumbleweed newspaper from Cary Junior High School in Cheyenne, and uh, it it has my very first byline, and it happens to be a a poem that I wrote, of all things, and this is is what it is. I, I used to edit a a column called the Poet's Corner, and so my first my first uh, uh, edition has uh, this poem that I wrote. I think that I shall never seize a sight as deadly as a sneeze <laughs> while standing up on your knees. A mom and uncle, nephew, or knees always say, "Excuse me, please." The dreadful part about this breeze is the goo left in your handkerchiefs. <laughs> And also, I happen to have written a review of the Red Pony, which hap- which which is a uh, a book that everybody had to read when they were, you know, at, uh, an adolescent. And the first line is, as the English would say, it's a bloody good book. <laughs> <laughs> Masterful. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my uh, my my or my original origin. And so after that, I. I uh, continued to write for my high school newspaper. In fact, I turned into the be the uh, the cartoonist for three years in high school, and I continued being a cartoonist for my newspaper in college, and did some some writing. But uh, there was no uh, there were no jobs in 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 political cartooning necessarily, unless you could knew somebody. There was no curriculum in college for political cartooning, and so. I kind of let that go by the wayside and uh, ended up uh, being a being a writer, and I dro- kind of dropped that for a long time. And uh, then in 2006, I was laid off of uh, two jobs in four years, right after 9/11. And so, when you gather in uh, unemployment uh, insurance benefits, you know you have to go to a job counselor, and uh, the counselor told me, "Well, you know, you you should do something you've always wanted to do, but." You know, could never do uh, because you always were tied down to a pesky job. And so I used to be a writer, and so I thought, well, I don't know if I want to work for a newspaper because the only people who make money at newspaper work are the owners. And so um, I decided to uh, try something. In, I like movies and television, and so I took some classes down at the local uh, public access TV station and uh, some screenwriting classes and. That was it. Um, I decided to jump off the uh, entrepreneurial cliff uh, after the job layoffs. You know, I got tired of working for incompetent people, and uh, you know I'm as incompetent as they are, so I might as well work for myself. And besides, I like you know I like the boss, so <laughs> I, ha- I haven't really looked back since that time. 
actually you you suggested this topic of AI for writing and you started actually a good conversation about it in the Writing Heights social community. So why don't you bring up like just your your initial thoughts about it? Well, I'd heard about uh, Chat GPT, you know, way back last year, and uh, it you know it was. It wasn't wasn't I guess newsworthy to I guess the, to the mass to the mass uh, mass market, but then all of a sudden, like about a week ago or two weeks ago, suddenly all the news shows were talking about it in the popular uh, TV and in the newspapers. I got to be th- got to thinking about how how it might work. I hadn't done, done really done anything with it, and in fact, I always thought that uh, it was something that wasn't so unusual. Uh, but apparently it is unusual, and so I, th- I was thrown back to the time when I was taking, I was a science major in college, and I was thrown back to my uh, math classes and my chemistry classes, and, you know, we could take, this was back in the days of slide rules, and um, we could take slide rules into the classroom and figure out your your uh, numbers and, and equations and formula solving solving equations using a slide rule or pencil and paper, but that was about it, because everybody had a slide rule, everybody had a pencil and paper. But uh, I think when I was about a junior or senior, Texas Instruments came out with this this gadget called the TI-100, and it was this calculator that was about the size of a bread box, all it could do is add and subtract, multiply and divide. That was about it. And it cost like 250 or $300 for something that you can, you know, you get for free by going to a conference now. Mm-hmm. And so the rich kids in school, they could afford the calculator. And so pretty soon, even though it just added and subtracted, multiplied and divided, which is very rudimentary, and slide rule was still better, they were outlawed from the classroom. Kids couldn't take uh, calculators regardless of whatever. But then Hewlett-Packard came out with one that was much more sophisticated, and then those were for sure outlawed. So a technological means that uh, gave some people an advantage uh, over the other kids. And so I I, I logged in, made an account with uh, ChatGPT, which is uh, open source, I think, for openai.com. And just tried to just mess around with it. And uh, what it is is that you can create uh, conversations by talking to the internet, basically, and ask the internet questions. And not only do you get a, you do a Google search and you get maybe 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 responses to a question, but what the chat AI does is it compiles everything, all the information together. I'm working on a memoir that's about, uh, it's called uh, uh, Views from Atop My Bedpan. And it's about my experiences in the, uh, the healthcare uh, industrial complex over the years. And so there was a part I was talking about, about when I was getting braces. And uh, I won't go into the details, but anyway, I was looking up a orthodontic appliance called uh, the Twin Wedge or twin blocks. I didn't know what that was. So I keyed in what are twin blocks in orthodontic uh, appliances. And it, came, and, and it came up with like this paragraph of information that was fairly, uh, fairly intelligent because the previous day I had spent two hours in my writing group researching twin blocks and it took me two hours to come up with basically a, the same paragraph. 
And so, oh, well, that's interesting. And so, I, well, it didn't it didn't come out perfect. I mean, you're, all it does is compile information. And so, there's you know du, duplic, du, duplicated words and misspelled words and punctuation was wrong. And and but the information was 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 good. And so I still had to go and edit through it. And and then. I was in another writing another writing group, and we were talking. This came up in conversation, and a couple of people were professors, college professors, and they said that uh, they were concerned about it because people were spitting out entire manuscripts, or not manuscripts, like essays, that are about uh, whatever the topic was, and um, were concerned about that. But if a college they weren't English professors. One of them was an English professor, the other one wasn't. If a college professor is having a hard time discerning bad grammar, bad use of uh, punctuation, then I would say that that the uh, kid or the, the lazy kid and the lazy parents probably are okay with trying to get away <laughs> with stuff. But there is another teacher who is an English teacher, a creative uh, writing teacher, and she was saying that she no longer allows students to turn in computer-generated uh, content, like you couldn't type it on a computer and then turn in a, a printed-out uh, story. You had to get a blue book, like in the good old days, and a pen, and write your essay in class. So there was no chance of, uh, of cheating. Interesting. So people's, that's why it's interesting to me. Yeah, people's, people's responses to AI have been very, very all over the place because it's definitely, I'm on YouTube a lot and I'm on AuthorTube a lot. And seeing at least those authors and their responses to the AI, it has been a wide array of responses. Like there are some people where they're like, this is the death, like this is the beginning of the end, like this is the death of creativity. This is like, we're gonna, everything's gonna be replaced by machines in the future. And then I've seen other people that are like, this is awesome. It can cut down on so much time that you spend so you can get to better ideas faster. The internet in regards to this topic has been an interesting place lately. Yeah, I, I don't see it any different than using a Grammarly or Pro Writing Aid to go through your, your manuscript because that basically has impact on people like Bonnie who's a, you know, gets paid to edit, edit words and, and uh, punctuation for a living. Mm. And it saves myself as a writer time to go through Grammarly and I and, and Pro Writing Aid, and there's also the I use a natural reader, which is you key in your text and it reads it back to you, and so that takes out takes the place of editors and uh, beta readers for that matter. Mm -hmm. They're much you know any of that stuff is way more reliable than any editor really because they don't have to go and. Uh, take lunch or they don't have to take a smoke break or they don't have to yeah you know go burp their baby or whatever they she, grammarly is there at my beckoning and and i can sit there as long as uh i want with them they don't get tired they don't have to they don't have to take rest breaks and so at one level it's it's helpful but then at the, on the other hand it's still it's still no, not. It's still a machine, and it still does. And still, I still have to go, and I still had to send my stuff off to Bonnie to take a look at at the at the manuscript. Well, and I think Grammarly is a good example because even if it corrects your grammar and it is technically correct, there's a lot of stylistic choices that can be made to help bring the most out of your story, and that doesn't really include 
developmental editing. It doesn't include like, I actually, I don't know. I haven't, I'm not super familiar with Grammarly beyond like a typical MS word spell check sort of usage. Does it do stuff like pacing and things of that nature? Yeah, it depends on how much you want to pay. And yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it does, it does pick out choppy sentences. I know pro writing aid is yeah. a little bit better on some of that stuff, but it, it is mostly wants you to write an active voice. Mm-hmm. And so it deconstructs your sentence when most times it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and so then you have to, to make a discernment between, okay, what part of what part of their suggestion is okay and what part is uh, yeah. not so okay. I was going to say, as as an editor, right, I use spell check and, and a lot of editors use Grammarly and ProWriting Aid and things. And like those are helpful tools for us, but you still have to have the human element. I don't know, maybe at some point, we'll have data running around and we won't need the human element anymore. But I think even now, even with the the AI being so much better, like it's not perfect. You still have to have a human come around and give it the human touch. Well, and it's not just writing either right now either, because I know there's a lot of different AIs for art. There's a lot mm-hmm. of different AIs for like vocal stuff. I know there's there's a lot of people that are saying we won't have to pay to make audiobooks anymore because we can just pay the AI. But <laughs> uh, one, I don't agree because <laughs> w- the thing about computers is that they are made from numbers and they are only as good as the data as you input into them. And the thing that they really do not understand, as far as I can tell, and there could be people out there who tell me I'm wrong. And if you want to, please comment in our socials that are listed in the description but like computers can't really do nuance they they don't really understand they can understand pattern recognition in the form of words and stuff like that but they can't understand thematic patterns and things of that nature they don't understand resonance they don't understand tone they don't understand and so I feel personally I feel people are safe creatives are safe because no matter how good of a copy an AI might be able to generate, I don't think it will ever 100% be able to beat an actual artist. You know, I've uh, got, I ran into this other movie project and am applying to the Sundance Institute for uh, for some funding, and and to put some legs into this project. And so one of the um, questions that you have to answer is list your uh, artist statement. Mm-hmm. And so I have an artist statement, but I was curious, okay, I wonder if if the AI could come up with one that's better. And so just I'm not that I have this big huge internet presence, but I typed in write a artist statement for Alan Ohashi and uh push the submit. And it came up with I was surprised. It came up with this very prosy uh artist statement. And so myself, I come from journalism, and so you read the one that I have, uh-huh. and it's uh, you know got a lead, and it's got this, and the inverted pyramid style, and you compare that to the one that the AI AI split out is way different than my style, and so I'm going to take the the AI version in my uh, artist statement, but use that voice, yeah, because the voice is just so much different. And I think so much better because I don't talk like that or I don't think like that. Mm-hmm. But I think it fits better because I think the AI, what it did was it went out and, and looked up, okay, what are artist statements? Well, most artist statements are written by visual artists, right, brain people. And me being kind of a more left brain, it rewrote my stuff as if I was right brained or totally right brained. I thought that was something where it picked out some 
other sense of myself that I didn't realize I had or yeah no that could as as a tool that could be really interesting to see if that doesn't give you a jumping point for creating different voices if someone struggles with that that could be that could be fascinating that could be fun thing to play around with I know we got uh at my other at my day job uh we get a lot of junk mail and one of the junk mails was here I can write blog articles for you so that way you can you know pump SEO and you can boost your presence online and make more sales and, you know, typical, typical junk mail stuff, like, you know, make a million dollars in three months. I'm like, yeah, if that worked, uh, a lot of people, a lot more people would be making a million dollars in three months, but that's neither here nor there. But they submitted this article that on the surface sounded really beautiful because it was talking about, uh, well, the other business that I'm a part of is a, is a pet supplement business. And this girl was talking about her horse, how she and her horse loved to go out and do this stuff. And it was it was decent. It was air quotes, decent writing, but it didn't actually say anything like at first glance. I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. And then I read it again and I was like, but it, it's it's empty. There's there's no actual message. There's no actual sustenance. And they basically have like a little box right here that's basically fill in product here. And it's like that doesn't actually speak to us to our stuff and then I saw they they forgot to take the tag off that that had been generated by an AI and so it was yeah it was just very eye-opening that but it probably increased SEO for that particular website or web page or whatever because it had keywords and all kinds of stuff yeah so in a strictly from that sense probably but in terms of added value to like customer knowledge and stuff like that you would have to get way more specific and granted this was probably just a mass example like just just kind of like I want to put as little effort into it as possible to try and like get people to look into this and message me back so I doubt it was their best work but but see I don't think your best work mattered in that case (laughs) I think the idea was to drive you know it's almost like sort of the sort of the opposite of clickbait rather than it being sensational and and uh and uh, just add a lot of fluff and it just it got you to to open it up so i liked what you were saying about how like maybe that blog post would fix your seo which okay great so you show up on google sooner and so someone clicks on you but then if they go and read that article and like miranda's saying it doesn't actually teach you anything about the product or um convince you in any way to to buy the thing then it's is it actually helpful so like the computer can churn out things that will boost your seo because that's also an algorithm SEO is not the only thing that leads to you selling something. You also have to actually have a product that people want to buy and help the people know that. So so it does still seem like there's an element missing there. Yeah, unless, the, unless the objective was to get you to the website. And if I were that writer, I would have uh, lots of links embedded within that content. And so you would be teased into a click or re- a read more button and, and go further. But you'd have to eventually have something real. Yeah, but that, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the that the that the draw, the come on, was this was this innocuous blog post. But to get you to in, rather than using some sensational approach, it's used more like a what would what would be your uh, like. I'm not sure what it was. Like say your pet thing, you were drawn in because it had to do with your with your pet thing. But then you go down. You able? They want you to go down further once you get in. Kind of like don't don't turn the turn the channel now. Or you get the free <laughs> Ginsu knives. If if you're this far along, you will stay with us because there's more. 
<laughs> kind of that uh, infomercial approach. But wait, for just <laughs> two short pay- or just three small payments of twenty nine ninety five. I was thinking maybe we can talk a little bit about um, I don't know, like the ethical implications. This is something I've been thinking about since you brought it up. But like, do we on- are we only caring about AI now because it's getting better? Like, should that really be how we decide how good? If if your plagiarism is good, then it's okay. then it's bad but if your plagiarism is bad it's okay like yeah uh there was one of the one of the professors that that was in this other uh, call i was on here last week he was saying that they use it as a learning tool as opposed to outlying it they would uh they would they would do something with say some shakespeare thing like othello and uh write a critique of othello for, for 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 the class and then would come out and then what they would do is go through that critique and see how accurate it was or see whether or not it was passable as being something that's real. And just really using it as a way to uh, create uh, more literate readers, more literate uh, media watchers, and so that they would be able to make more discernments about uh, what's, real, what's real or what's not real. And I think that, uh, you know, the fake news that gets, uh, that was, perpetrated over the past, you know, six years, you know, the, the, I think that turned uh, readers into becoming more uh, aware and become more literate from when it comes to uh, news. And so, like, for example, if you didn't, if you didn't look at the same news source, same news story and that it only came up one time then chances are there's probably nothing to it if it didn't show up on cnn if it didn't show up uh, show up on cbs or nbc or the new york times chances are it probably isn't legitimate and so i think that's the same type of discernment that uh that people are going to have to uh, develop uh with the advent of uh ai because i think you know facts are facts right so you google facts and if you and whenever you Google I, myself, that's what I do. I write mostly historic, historic fiction, so nonfiction. And so a fact will come up, and it will come up in the context of a paper or a newspaper or, uh, or something. But I have to take that information and not use it exactly Confirm as it, it was, well, yeah. what it was, how it was, what was uh, published originally. And so I either have to put my own spin on it, which usually I do, or just totally change the context of what I read. So, at one, so what? So is that plagiarism because right, I, yeah. I took data from the Census Bureau? I feel like I come at this from an interesting angle of being an editor, and like to me, I think it, it's perfectly ethical for me to take someone's book and make suggestions and changes, and then them still claim it as their book, right? Even though I'm, I may have written full sentence, I may have written full paragraphs in the thing. Um, but they still had to decide if what I wrote was good and they'll they'll put their own twist on it. And I always tell my clients, please don't accept everything that I do. <laughs> like that it worries me if you say you accepted every single change. Um, but so but then again, I was thinking, would I if I just like put into some AI thing, hey, I want a story about this kind of person in this kind of genre. And then I went and edited it. Would I be able to publish it under my own name? I don't know, because I don't publish under my name. Right. I I'm pretty invisible. 
Well, and one thing that I kind of want to, I, I want to posit from the opposite angle is that it's not just writing AIs. It's also artist AIs and other AIs right. as well. And one thing that has come up is uh, mainly on TikTok that I've seen, there's a couple of artists who have been able to say, hey, they put my art into this AI to generate to basically feed the AI so that way when someone typed in a prompt, it would come out as their style. And so does that count as right. plagiarism or stealing or something like that? Because we've kind of talked about, or have we talked about, like there there is an element to quote unquote stealing within mm-hmm. the creative world. Um, a lot of people use that term, but, you know, a, a kinder term to that would be inspiration. A lot of learners I know will are actually told, hey, copy this famous person and their style until you get comfortable with it and then start changing it to suit yourself. I saw a really awesome quote that was like, when you're told to copy someone else, the friction that you feel when you're completely copying someone else's, that friction is your own voice. But if we're taking works that were specifically generated by other people and using that to feed the AI, and then I sit there and go, okay, I want a story about a wizard in the style of Brandon Sanderson, hit generate, and then it generates it, then is that stealing? Technically, the AI wrote it, but his stuff was put into the AI in order to in order to even make it so that way you can make that request. Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, right, just sort of analog uh, copyright law comes into, comes into play. Mm-hmm. And so if a story gets spit out and it's the same story, then I'd say that the, the you know, there would be remedies for something like that. I think the same thing holds true with music. I mean, there's all these cases of just even riffs mm-hmm. that, that musicians have, have made, maybe just out of luck or because that's just a good riff and it happens to match up with one that was made five years before. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the, the copyright laws are pretty clear on how those, how those work and they and the same thing with Holcher, I would say even more so with uh, with printed words. Yeah, man, I feel bad for the legal system coming up. This is these are not going to be easy questions to answer. I don't think like IP law is going to change so much. Yeah, it's 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 going to be uh, it'll be interesting to see whose works gets get uh, rewritten, although not enough. Yeah. <laughs> So positing like a hypothetical and a good note to kind of end on is how how do both of you see the writing industry potentially changing because of AI? I don't see it changing much at all. I think that there there will be improvements and I in in terms of uh, just being able to create content that normally would be uh, I don't know what comes to mind is is sports scores in newspapers, and I think now it even exists that you can, a coach can from high school coach can they can send in their scores and 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 some highlights and AI will spit out a sports story about all thirty of these high schools in class double A and you know, and wherever. So I think it's. It, there, it will uh, make things a lot easier for sports editors in that case, yeah. and they can, you know, spend more time working on, you know, other stories. I imagine it'll be like most technological advances, where it's just, it's going to change where we put our focus. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to turn more into people reading things 
I think it's going to turn writers more into editors than writers, probably, right? Like, they're going to have to read whatever an AI comes out with and massage it so that it's the right thing. It's like, I don't know, I was thinking about the analogy of like when we used human computers to travel to space and then we got digital computers and like that was good, yeah. right? Some people might lose the job they're used to, which is always the problem with technological advancement. We just have to train people to do the next step mm -hmm. up, right? I'm I'm hoping that AI is used purely as a tool like there's I I can already see instances where it could easily and prolifically be abused but I'm hoping what it will do instead is that the majority of people will use it to learn from it like if their writing is maybe not the best because for whatever reason they're a beginner or they just simply don't know much about it I hope they can use AI to improve their own craft I know there's a whole subset of writers that could really use that kind of help and maybe can't afford schooling or conferences or other stuff that would be traditional av avenues of helping them improve. But I know me as someone who runs social media for a couple of different people, I'm kind of looking forward to AI and being able to help just generate some posts that I can then go edit, tailor, and cater to the individual companies and just kind of make it make it easier for me to schedule that stuff. Because the thing with marketing is that you can write the best piece in the world, but if you don't know who to get it to or who to get it in front of, it's not going to help you at all. So I hope it is used as a tool and not as something to replace everything. Yeah, I agree with that too. And and also, you know, you, you think one of the one of the uh, things naysayers would said about computers and calculators back a long time ago was, well, kids are not going to learn how to add and subtract anymore, and kids are not going to learn how to to uh, do do times tables. Mm -hmm. Well, people still have to learn how to do times tables. People still have to learn how to write through outright handwrite uh, the alphabet, and learn how to create words. I see the AI as being sort of enhancements to analog mm -hmm. teaching and learning. Well, and any computer programmer will tell you that if there is a bug in your code, then <laughs> you're going to end up with some really, really wonky stuff. So I'd like to think we're never really going to go away. There's there's always going to be the human element. Yes, and the my prime example on that is the self-checkout at the grocery store. <laughs> they have that two or three clerks that still have to come over and help key in my coupons, or I, I, I don't know a Roma tomato from an heirloom tomato, and I, they have to come over and you know, correct my, my pricing. And so there's always going to be a need for human inter interfaces. And if not, then our digital overlords listening to this in 100 years in the future will just laugh. We're, we're, we're saying good things about you. Don't hurt us. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Alan. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I, anytime I have, have opinion, we'll travel. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. Question to our listeners today is, what is your opinion on AI? Let us know in our socials in the description. Stay sharp, my friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Writing Forge, a Writing Heights podcast brought to you by Nagano Press. To learn more about The Writing Forge, check out our social links in the episode description. Subscribe to The Writing Forge wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review. For more informational writing content, be sure to become a Writing Heights member.